when the scripture says in James, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It's about our spirit uniting itself to the Lord's spirit so that it's not about Jesus did his part. Now I'm going to do my part. No, the unexpected path is not about me living my life for Christ, but about Christ living his life through me. Hey, I'm Mike Atkins, and I'm so glad you've joined me today for the podcast. My prayer has been that as we study God's Word together, our hearts will be open to the life-changing truth of Christ in us, the hope of glory, to everything the Lord has done for us, but most importantly, to everything the Lord longs to do through us. I'm really thankful for this time together and for the Lord's work in your life. You'll find more information in the show description and at MikeAtkinsMinistry.com. I want to begin tonight in James chapter 4, and I'm going to be starting around verse 6, 7, right around in there. And tonight's message, I'm calling it uh, the unexpected path. You know, we're all a bit on an unexpected path right now in the natural world. We're all living lives that are not what we thought we'd be living a year or two ago. So in the natural, we're all on an unexpected path. But I want to talk tonight about the spiritual unexpected path that I have found my life on that really was not at all what I thought Christianity and following Christ and being his disciple was going to be about. And this unexpected path has been such a rich discovery for me that I yearn for the body of Christ to know it. In the years that I have left on planet Earth, if there was only one thing that I could focus on, it would be the the roots of what we're going to talk about tonight. And I'm so full of this that I just hope that I can narrow it and keep it uh, accessible. But I want us to look at James chapter 4, and let's look at around verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I pray that this verse of Scripture, when I'm finished this evening, will take on a brand new meaning for you and in, in a joyful meaning. Because for me, it has done that in a powerful way. I want to begin by thinking about these words. You know, he talks about submitting to God and resisting the devil. The word to submit, hupotasso, it means to get under and place yourself under the authority of. The word resist, the devil, it's the word antihistamine. It's the word we get antihistamine from. It means to resist or to stand up against something. So he says, submit yourself to the lordship of Christ and stand up against the enemy. But then he makes this powerful revelatory statement. He says, draw near to God, 
and he will draw near to you. This word to draw near in the Greek language, it literally means to join yourself to another. It, it means, yes, physically in proximity to be closer to, but literally it means to join yourself to another. It's more than just the idea of getting a little closer, but it's about embracing something, about uniting yourself to something. And when the scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, then he begins to give these really what may at first sound like really a not so joyful comments. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Then he says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. The reason why I think this is understanding this unexpected path that this scripture talks about is so important is because if we misunderstand what he's saying, then this becomes a kind of admonition to just feel bad about ourselves, to feel bad about our sin, to just live a life of mourning and weeping and, and self-degradation. And, and we can misunderstand, and many have misunderstood through, through the centuries and seen this in that perspective. But I want to suggest a completely different perspective for you with me tonight about this passage. And I want to begin by thinking about what does it really mean to draw near to the Lord? To unite ourselves to the Lord, there's some interesting verses of Scripture that talk about this. You know, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, when Moses saw the burning bush, the Bible says that God spoke to Moses out of the midst of the burning bush, and he said this to Moses. He said, do not draw near. Do not draw near. He says, take your shoes off of your feet because the place where you're standing is holy. In other words, in the Old Testament, before the death and the resurrection of Christ, before his blood was shed, man could not draw near to God. Uh, the Bible tells us that, that uh, God dwelt in the center of the Holy of Holies, and man could not come into that place. And so God was admonishing Moses, don't get close to me. He told the Israelites, tell them not to come near the mountain. Don't come near my presence because I'm a consuming fire. And so in the Old Testament, before the blood of Christ was shed, we see this picture of man being distant from God, man being far away from God. But here in James, he says, I want you to draw near. Literally, I want you to join yourself to the Lord. I want you to unite yourself to him. Now, there's a couple of Old Testament scriptures coming into the New Testament that tell us something about this. I want you to look, for example, at Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29 is a very powerful verse of scripture in relationship to this idea of drawing near. How do we draw near? What are we talking about in, in drawing near? He says in verse 13, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the commandment of men. In other words, he says, these people, they draw near, but they draw near with their mouth, with their lips, but not with their heart. But what is the heart? What does it mean to draw near with the heart? Well, the heart of man is the spirit of man. It's the innermost being. It's the core of who we are. 
the Bible says that in the Old Testament, and Matthew quotes this in Matthew 5, that these people had drawn near God verbally. They were saying the right things. They were expressing the right things. They had the right uh, doctrinal views. They had the, the right verbal cues to indicate that they were that they were drawing near or they believed in God, but their heart, their core, their spirit, man, was far away from God. They were religious. They were following the precepts. They were externally uh, in agreement with the ways of God, but their spirit, their heart was far away from God. This idea of the heart being key to drawing near to God is shown throughout Scripture. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 30, in Jeremiah 30, verse 21, it says, Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. And then he says, Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart? He pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord. You shall be my people and I will be your God. In other words, who is this that's coming to me, not with their lips, not just with their physical actions, external, but with their spirit, with their core of who they are, their innermost being, they are pledging, pledging their heart to approach me, to draw near to me, to unite to me. In other words, they're pledging that their innermost being will unite to me. Critical understanding here. Critical understanding. So many people through the years as a pastor, I've learned, believe that what it means to be a Christian is this idea. And those of you that know me and sat under my ministry for many years, you're going to recognize these words. But they have come to the idea that Jesus died for them. That's his part. Now he's finished. So that I can live for him. That's my part and that's not finished yet. And so I'm going to live my life for him because he died for me. And the basic picture that many Christians have of what the path is of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is that now that Christ has done his part, he's finished his part, now I'm going to do my part. And my part is I'm going to live my life for him. And so I come to this place where I begin to, I'm going to determine to live good. I'm going to I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm in agreement with what God says. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to determine my life is going to belong to Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to say the right things. I'm going to speak the right things. I'm going to do all of this. But the problem is the core of my being, who I am now, my spirit can be far away from uniting myself to Christ while I'm saying the right things going through the motions, and externally appearing to be committed to the ways of the Lord. But God says, he says, the one who is going to be my people and I'm going to be their God is the one who has pledged his heart. He's pledged his heart to approach me. I just see such richness in this idea. Because when the scripture says in James, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. The drawing near is not with our lips. It's not with rituals or external actions. It's not about going to a building to go to a service. It's about our spirit 
uniting itself to the Lord's Spirit and becoming one with Him so that we are drawing near and our very life is coming into and His very life coming into our life. So that it's not about Jesus did His part, now I'm going to do my part. No, because the key idea, the unexpected path that I was a Christian for 12 years of my life before I discovered it, is not about me living my life for Christ, but about Christ living his life through me. He wants me to draw near to his spirit because his spirit wants to draw near to my spirit, wants to come and take up resonance inside of me and begin to express his life through me. This is so critical. Because it's not about just Christ died for me, now I'm going to live for him. It's about Christ died for me so that he could live in me. Now, what does this look like? I want you to notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and looking at verse 13, it says this, Ephesians 2 verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We were once far off. Remember Moses said, don't draw near to this burning bush. This, don't come close to my presence. Well, now through the blood of Jesus, we who are far off have been brought near. But now Jesus says, Paul writing to the, to the church, he says, uh, James rather says, draw near. You've been made nigh, now draw near. Unite yourself to my spirit. Let me begin to live in you. Embrace my life living in you. And this, this principle of his life living in us takes us to an understanding that I don't even know that I have the capacity to explain but it is the most unexpected path that I could have ever imagined. And it's a path that I, I have come to the conclusion after 40 years of pastoring and ministering to people, so many Christians have never understood that the true path of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is not the path of me trying to devote my life to serving Christ. But it's about me surrendering and yielding my life to allow Christ to live his life through me. In other words, it's about me drawing near, embracing his life so that he can come in and embrace my life, and then something transformational can begin to happen. Uh, go back with me here to James chapter 4, and let's look at this now in this light for just a moment. Draw near to God. Remember how we draw near, not with our lips, not with our mouth, not with our rituals, but by pledging. What does it mean to pledge my heart? It's to give my, the core of my being, to give it to him for his use, to allow him to take control for his life to, to be able to be released. And notice how he says, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
You know, again, those of you that have sat under my ministry very long know that my definition of sin, S-I-N, is a self-inspired narrative. Sin is a self-inspired narrative. In other words, sin is a story that I write, that I inspire, that I do based on my own ideas, my own perspectives, my own thinking. In other words, it's me living my life for Christ. It's a self-inspired narrative. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever I'm doing that is not coming out of a faith operation is a self-inspired narrative. It's something that I'm doing on my own. It's not something that's coming out of the life of Christ in me. Now, for the person that might be struggling with what I'm saying, let me, let me, let me try and put this in a really simple idea. When the Bible tells me to cleanse my hands of sin, if you think of sin as a self-inspired narrative, why do I think that? Because in the Garden of Eden, the first sin that was ever committed, it wasn't an act of war. No one was murdered. It wasn't some heinous crime, according to man's ideas. What, what happened is that Adam and Eve disobeyed a clear command of Scripture. In other words, God had a command for them. They chose their own way. They came up with an idea that was suggested to them by the adversary. That idea that was suggested to them by the adversary for how they could live their life, they reached out and did it, and they began a self-inspired narrative that led to death, it led to the fall, it led to abandonment and exile from the presence of God. But what was it really? It was, it was an act of self-inspired narrative. If you can think with me about this idea that sin, whatever is not of faith is sin, whatever I'm not doing operating out of a confidence in the, in the, in the presence of the Lord, a self-inspired narrative, me living my life is an act of self-inspired narrative. Then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Well, here's a perspective on that for just a minute. He's speaking to believers, to believers who were once far off, who have been made near, now he's saying, now, I want you to unite yourself to the Lord. And I want you to wash your hands. Wash your hands of your self-inspired narratives. I want you to cleanse your hands of those things that you're doing, that you have been doing, that are not operative in faith, but are operative out of your own understanding, your own ways, your own perspectives. Isn't it interesting that Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And then notice what he said, and the life I now live, the life I'm living now, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not living my life. I'm letting Christ live his life through me. The life I'm now living, I'm living by faith in the Son of God. Whatever is not of faith is sin, a self-inspired narrative 
rather than a Christ expression living through me. He says, in essence, I want you to draw near to God, unite yourself to him, and then wash your hands of your self-inspired narratives. Stop, in essence, I, I say this with all my heart, such an unexpected path. Stop trying to live your life for me. Please stop trying to live your life for me. Rather, allow me to live my life through you. We're going to show you. I'm going to show you this in just a second here. So he says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Wash your hands of your self-inspired narratives. And then he says, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This word to purify, it means to simplify. It means to make singular, which makes sense because the Greek word that's used here for double-minded, it could mean double lives or double spirit. It, it could mean it's, it's daisukios. It, it means two, trying to live two lives. He says, instead, simplify, purify, make single your heart, and don't be double-minded. You know, he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's a scripture that says, everyone that has this hope in themselves purifies themselves even as he was pure. Well, how was Christ pure? Christ had a single focus. He didn't have a multiplicity of focuses. He didn't have a multiplicity of purposes. He had only one focus and only one purpose. And what was it? He said, the works that I do are the works I see the Father doing. The words that I speak are the words I see the Father speaking. The works that I do are not my own. They, they're the works that the Father's doing. In other words, he is saying, in essence, I am the embodiment. I am the embodiment of the Father, his nature, his character. Hebrews 1 tells us he's the exact representation of his being and the outshining of his glory. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus had one single purpose, and what was that one single purpose? To be the embodiment of the Father. He said to to the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because the Father's in me and I am in him. Christ came to, to be God in a language man could understand, to embody the Father, his character, his heart, his nature. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Christ, because Christ was the embodiment of, the incarnation of God in human flesh. Now he says to us, Cleanse your hearts, your, you sinners. Wash your hands of your self-inspired narratives and purify your hearts from having multiplicities of purpose and motives. Because now, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. What Jesus is saying to us, in essence, I want you to draw near to me, to unite your life to me, I want you to draw near to me with your heart. I want you to pledge your heart to me. Give me your life. Give me your heart because I want your self-inspired narratives to end 
I want your multiplicity of purposes to end. I want you to have one purpose and one narrative. The one purpose I want you to have and the one narrative I want you to have, in essence, is in the same way Christ was the embodiment of the Father, I want you to be the embodiment of Christ. I want my life to be operative through you. Now, this doesn't mean we're eradicated. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm here. I'm still in residence. But not I. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, Jesus was saying, I want to live in you. I want to live through you. I want to put on your eyes, your mouth, your hands, your feet, your ears, your life. I want to be operative in you and through you. I don't want you to live your life for me. I want you to allow me to live my life in you. I want you to surrender and yield to my life. I want you to purify your heart. And I want you to pledge your heart to me. And I want you to quit trying to live your life for me and let me live my life through you. Now, why is that? I know I'm covering a lot of territory. I've stopped looking at my notes because I can't even get to all this. Listen to me here. This is so important to understand. This life that Christ has called us to is not a life that man can live. Only Christ can live it. But the good news is Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Because he's in you and he has made himself available to you, and now instead of like Moses where Moses had to be told, don't draw near. Now God is saying, draw near, draw near. Not just get closer to me. You were already far off. I made you nigh by my blood. Now unite your life to my life. Allow me to take up resonance in full measure in you and wash your hands of your self-inspired narratives now. Purify your minds from the double-mindedness of multiplicity of purpose, all these things that we're going to do for God. Instead, singular and simplify that here's what I want to do for God. Here is what I want to do for God. I want to relinquish my life and allow him to live his life through me. To surrender my plans, my ideas, my perspective, my view. I want to allow Christ to operate through me. My, my sole purpose now is to be available for his life. That's what he's yearning to be able to express through me. And I'll show you why he's yearning for that. But first, there's a process. Listen to this. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then sound very exciting. But can I tell you that's exactly what has to happen for us to get to the point that we stop trying to live our life for Christ and we start letting him live his life through us. You see, we start out, most of us start out as believers. 
we become really tired of our sin. We get guilty. We feel the condemnation and the judgment of our sin. We feel we feel troubled by our sin, and we come to the Lord, and we know that Jesus died on the cross, and He shed His blood, and He forgave us, and He's offering us a you know a, a, a new slate and a new beginning, and and we come to Him tired of our sin and ready to submit ourselves to Him. But then what happens is now with a new level of commitment and devotion and excitement and passion, we say, all that Jesus has done for me, oh, he's done so much for me. Now I just want to, I want to spend the rest of my life living my life for him. And off we go to live our life for Jesus. And very soon we find out what our life is capable of doing when it comes to trying to be like Jesus. And it's not much. As a matter of fact, we become very quickly conscious that there's a problem with our life. There's a problem with me trying to live my life for Jesus. I have the will to do it. Paul talked about this in Romans 7. I have the will to do it, but I don't seem to have the power. I have the desire, but I don't seem to have the capacity. I want to do right, but right when I want to do right, I'm, I find myself falling and failing and doing what I don't want to do. Paul finally got to a point where he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of this death? This was Paul, the apostle, conscious of doing what? He was lamenting. He was mourning. He was weeping. His laughter and joy of, I'm going to serve God, and his, you know, his passion to live his life was turning instead to, to gloom. It was turning to mourning. In other words, there was a hopelessness. There was a helplessness beginning to develop in the heart of, of the apostle because he became conscious that there was a, his life had a wretched quality to it. And it was not able, he was not able to garner its capacity to act like Jesus. He, he couldn't do it. He became helpless. He was lamenting. He was mourning. He was weeping. You know, some people get to this point in their Christian life and they, they want to quit. They want to give up. They think, I just can't be a Christian. I just don't have what it takes. Or others, they become very adept at masking the reality of their life. In other words, they, they cover up, they put on some makeup, they dress up, they smile, they go and they are exuberant and with all their outward. Inwardly, there's a, there's a failure and confusion. But outwardly, you know, they, they look the part and they make sure nobody sees the real frattered edges of, of their insides. But here's the thing. This is not the life that Christ wants us to have. Because our self-inspired narratives before we knew Christ may have been in sin that we call sin, you know, the, the bad parts of sin, you know, the things that we think of as, as evil or wicked. But the self-inspired narrative can take many forms. What God wants us to do is wash our hands of our self-inspired narratives, purify our hearts from the double-mindedness, and come to a singleness of purpose that we would be pure just as Christ was pure. His motive was absolutely pure and unsullied. And what was it? His purpose was to be the embodiment of the Father, to let the Father express his life through him. Now, Christ is saying, I want to express my life through you. I want to live my life through you. But what I've discovered is I have to get to the end in the same way 
when I came to Christ the first time, I came at the end of my sin, tired of my self-inspired narrative, tired of my crossing the boundaries, guilty. Now I come back. This time I come tired of my self-effort, of the work that I'm doing and pinning God's name on it, rather than relinquishing and allowing him to express his life through me. I'm going to tell you, I got to this place in my life. Those of you that know me, and I've known you for many years, many of you for many years, I got to this place in my life. I, I was in ministry. I, I had served the Lord for 12 years when I, when I had a revelation that the path I was on, trying to be devoted to Christ, was really a path that was just leading me to this point of getting to the end of myself. Getting to this point of realizing I need to wash my hands of my self-inspired narratives. I need to lay down all of my ideas about how I'm going to live my life for Christ, my double-mindedness. I'm at the point of lamenting, of mourning, of weeping. I'm at the point where my laughter, in terms of the celebration of my own ways, it's turning to mourning. And where my joy is turning to gloom, the word gloom there, heaviness, it means literally to, to look down. It's like the light has appeared. It's like I've had a, an epiphany, an epiphany of my own incorrigibility. I suddenly, finally come to a realization that my life cannot be lived for Christ. What my life must do is be laid down that his life might be lived through me. When that happens, a deep humility comes. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. His power, his strength, his life, his anointing, his expression, his fruit, his gifts will begin to express himself through you, and he will begin to bring you to a place that you could not get on your own. You could never have arrived there. It's his life, his life alone, that can express his life. And my life has to be laid down for his life to be expressed. But as long as I'm living my life for Christ, Christ cannot live his life through me. That's why James says to believers, you who were once far off, Ephesians 2, have been made near by the blood. Now, he says, James says, so draw near. Embrace. Unite yourself to this life that's now living in you. Let your life diminish, let his life increase, and get to the end of yourself. Get to the end of your own ways. You know, in this time that we've been in, God's doing a deep work. He's wanting to do such deep work in us. All the trappings, all the drawing near to God with our lips, with our songs, with our actions, with our bodies, going to meetings, going to all of those things, he's wanting now to say, I want you to go deeper. 
because you've been drawing near to me with your lips, but your heart has been far away from me. It's your heart that I've always wanted. It's your heart that I've prepared as a place for me to dwell. It's your heart that my blood was shed so that I could draw near to you and you could draw near to me so that I could live in you and your life could now be, be found in my life. That, you know, if, if, we're, if we truly are raised with Christ, we should seek the things that are above where Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, for we are dead. And our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life, when Christ who is our life appears, then we'll appear with him in glory. That's the same thing he's saying here. When we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, when we relinquish trying to live our life for him, when we come to the end of that and feel the lamentation and the mourning and the weeping of our inability and humble ourselves and release our life and let him take control and begin to live through us, then he exalts us. He takes us where we can't go on our own. You know, there's a beautiful verse of scripture. I, I'm going to have to just find it real quick that I want you to see as we're moving to a close here, because this is what I really believe is what God is so wanting to do for us all. Look at Acts chapter 20 with me. Acts 20 verse 24, look what it says. Paul is talking He's saying that I know that persecution and death is awaiting me, but he makes this important comment. Verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, Paul says, I do not count my life dear to myself. Why, he says, so that I can finish my race with joy. You know, the longer we count our life dear to ourself and we try to live our life for Christ, the more we're going to experiencing lament and mourning and wailing and our joy into sorrow and our our delight turning into gloom. Why? Because it's an impossible task for me to live my life for Christ. And the sooner I get to the end of myself and realize that, that all of that is a, it's a cheap imitation. It's lips and mouth, but no heart. It's physically going and serving and doing all that, but it's not Christ expressing his life through me because it's all my self-inspired narrative. But when I wash my hands of that, purify my heart to the single purpose, yield my life, let Christ take control, let him begin to express his life through me, then it doesn't become about my life anymore. It becomes like Paul. I don't count my life dear to myself. I'm not interested in living my life for him. I'm interested in cooperating with and yielding and surrendering to allowing him to live his life through me. And what does it result in? He says, no, he's talking about going and I'm going to probably be arrested. He says, but what does he say? He says, I want to finish my race with joy. You see, when you come to the end of you, you come to the beginning of him. And when you come to the beginning of him, you've touched something that's fathomless. That's eternal. That when you're dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God, then when Christ begins to appear, you appear with him in glory. When you humble yourself, then he can exalt you. He can take you where you can't go. When you draw near to him, unite yourself to him, wash your hands of your self-inspired narrative. 
yield yourself to him, get to the end of yourself. Then you're at the beginning of exaltation, what he can do through you. Yeah, there's one more verse of scripture here that I want you to look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I just, it just brings such joy to me when I read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And looking at verse 24, he's talking to the church in Corinth and he's been correcting them and he's been instructing them and he's been teaching them about the proper way to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh and all of that. But I want you to see what he says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 24. He says, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. One version says we are helpers of your joy. In other words, Paul says we're not trying to rule over you. What we're trying to do is we're trying to help you develop faith in the Son of God, faith in the grace of God, faith in the life of God in you, faith in the potential of what God can do. To stop your self-inspired narratives, because whatever is not of faith is sin, we're trying to help you in your faith help you not to be trying to rely on your own strength, but relinquishing your life to his life, to his power, so that we can help you in your joy. We can be, as he says it here in the New King James Version, fellow workers for your joy. You know, I came to a conclusion of what the rest of my life is supposed to be about, of what my calling is supposed to be. I wrote it down this week. Because I see it so plainly, because honestly, I have to tell you, so much of the church is trying to live its life for Christ and doesn't know. They haven't yet come to the point of lament and mourning and despair of that, of true brokenness, so that they could then relinquish, humble themselves, relinquish control to the life of Christ instead. Here's my calling. My calling is to help people despair, to help people despair of themselves and submit to death to their own fleshly works and efforts in order to be born into a resurrection life where their only hope of glory is found in Christ and to help them find the joy of the life of Christ living through them. For so many years, I didn't know this. And for so many years, I kept trying to, to con myself into believing that if I just tried a little harder, worked a little harder, did a little more, I'd eventually get this thing figured out and I'd be living my life for Christ. But saints, I have learned the absolute despair, the weeping, the mourning, the wailing, Joy turned into sorrow, laughter turned to sorrow, joy into gloom. I've learned the hopelessness and helplessness of Mike Atkins' life, trying to live it for Christ. But what joy to discover that was never God's plan. His plan was always that he would live his life through me. Always that he would become the power, the strength, to express his life through me. And this yielding of my life is so critical. You know, maybe you're at this point where I was. 
Maybe you're saying to yourself, man, I've tried so hard to live for Christ, but man, I still have these issues. I still have that. I still have this going on. I still feel like I'm coming up short at this time. Now I'm really going to dig in. I'm really going to push harder. I'm really going to force myself to do something. But maybe some of the resolutions you've made, you've discovered aren't working and you find yourself falling back into patterns or actions or attitudes or ways of thinking. Can I fulfill my calling? Can I help you push you on over to the edge of despair and get you to the end of that? Can I just say to you, you could do another year, another five years, another 10 years, and still find that you can't do it? And can I tell you that that doesn't come as a surprise to God? He never said you could do it. Matter of fact, he knew you couldn't. That's why he said in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and my word abides in you, Jesus was the word, my word abides in you, then you'll bring forth fruit. He'll clip back more of you so that more of him can come forward. He'll prune more of you back, more of him, prune back more of him until in this the Father begins to be glorified, that you bear much fruit. What is fruit? It's his life, his spirit, his power, his strength. Stop trying to, to do it. Just say, Lord, I'm so thankful. You know. Major Ian Thomas used to say, I can't, and he never said I could. He can, and he always said he would. So the quicker I can say, Lord, you know, I can't live this life for you. You know, I can't love like you want me to love. You know, I can't do this in my own strength or power. Apart from you, I can't do anything. But praise God, I'm dead, and my life is hidden with Christ in God. So when you begin to appear, I'll appear with you in glory. When I humble myself before you, then you'll exalt me. You'll take me where I can't go. So Lord, love through me today. Lord, I, my self-inspired narratives, I wash my hands of them. Lord, you live through me. You choose today and help me to unite my life to yours. Can we just begin to close with some prayer? And I want to end with you thinking about this. When you read this verse of scripture, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil. Remember, the devil was the one who started the idea of self-inspired narratives with Adam and Eve. Resist that. Draw near to God. Let him draw near to you. Wash your hands of your own narratives. Purify your minds from multiplicity of purpose. Get to the end of yourself. Humble yourself before God. Yield to his life. He'll begin to exalt you to a way you've never been before. Father, in Jesus' name, oh Lord, how I want to help people come to the end of the hope that they could live their life for Christ and come to the beginning of letting Christ live his life through them. How I'm yearning, Lord, in the days I have left to help people understand that this was always your plan. The unexpected path was that you would do it through us. So teach me again deeper Teach us all, Lord, in this season, how to deepen our roots into you and begin to yield to your life. I pray in Jesus' name. If this message has been an encouragement to you, please share it. That's all I ask. To find out more for additional resources or just to get in touch, log on to MikeAtkinsMinistry.com or click the link in the show description. I'm Mike Atkins, and I look forward to having you with us again next time.